0: Hello, you're listening to Radio Boise, KRBX 89.9 FN Caldwell, Boise. This is the Big Ten, and I'm your host, Luke Fowler. I'm here with my co-host, Corey Cook. And today on the show, we're going to be talking about the Supreme Court. So, good times today. And for uh, those who've been paying attention, paying attention to the news over the last week or so, you know that there's been a, a pretty big shakeup on the court um, yeah. with Anthony Kennedy retiring. Um, and so this is a, a big conversation, uh, particularly with Trump announcing his Supreme Court nomination this week. So uh, let's start with the, the most basic question, right? What does uh, Anthony Kennedy's retirement mean for the court? Is this a big deal or not a big deal?
1: Well, that's the, that's the million-dollar question, right? So on the one hand, um, I mean, most... Scholars of the Supreme Court would say it's actually not a big deal because, frankly, the court doesn't usually vote five four, um, and most most votes are actually pretty non-controversial. And uh, frankly, when we do a lot of analyses of how the court votes, we drop out those times the court votes unanimously from the analysis, which is actually the biggest number of the most common vote totals are the ones where the where the court is unanimous. And so, from a broad perspective, it's it's important, but not not Incredibly so. From a more narrow perspective, this is incredibly important because this was the swing vote, right? And the key 5-4 vote on a number of issues, including on abortion rights and, and same-sex marriage and other votes. And so advocates on both sides see this as a critically important voice on the court that's uh, now, now open for confirmation. And while again the broader perspective says, "Hey, look, you know the court moves very gradually, and they really tend to to listen to precedent." This could be a you know two to three decade shift in the Supreme Court, and so a lot of people are getting given this a lot of attention. No, w- w- what are your thoughts about that?
0: Uh, you know, I, I largely agree with your analysis as always, uh, and I'm not I'm not just saying that because technically you're my boss.
1: Yeah, right. Uh, uh, we we pay you well to say that. I think, yes. Right?
0: Uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I read so I read an article today that uh, Anthony Kitty – Tends to vote in the majority ninety percent of the time, um, which is a pretty huge number. I mean, that is, I mean, he is the quote unquote winningest judge, right? Yeah. So, I mean, typically, what way he swings is the same direction as the court. So, you know, in in that kind of framework, yeah, this is a huge deal, right? Um, so, this is definitely swi- or swings the the majority in the direction of the conservative wing, um, mm-hmm. takes away that swing vote. Um, so. I mean, if anything, the, the court's going to get more predictable, not less predictable. But I, I think you hit the nail on the head earlier, which is just to say most of these most of these decisions aren't particularly controversial, right? Um, a lot of these things are unanimous. Uh, a lot of them are, or at least if they're not unanimous, they're 6-3 decisions or 7-2 decisions, right? So we have very few of these that are well-balanced um, where one person makes a difference. And I mean, that's kind of the, the design of the court, right? And, and it's meant to go that direction. Um, and so uh, essentially... Uh, and as much as we like to put you know, precedent or, or put weight to conservative versus liberal values, those things don't really matter as much when you're actually talking about the functions of the Supreme Court. Um, though I will say that scholars know the least about the functionings of the Supreme Court. Right. Um, all these things happen behind closed doors. Uh, we assume that they're very collegial and they work together and debate these things. But, you know, as far as we know, they might throw chairs at each other. Um, right. You know, there just very, like, hotly contested, you know, mean words said between them. Um, some of those words I'm not allowed to say on the radio, apparently.
1: <laughs> well, there's seven of them you're all allowed to say. Yeah. Yes, uh, I've, uh, I've Googled them.
0: Uh, I was quite <laughs> shocked. Uh, my wife hadn't heard several of them. Uh, but, you know, it, it's, it's to go back and say, we don't really know in large ways how this is going to affect the court. And, you know, uh, Anthony Kennedy's a, a, a great example. Right, because he got nominated by Reagan after two failed nominations, which was interesting. Yeah, um, so he gets uh, nominated by Reagan, and everybody's like, "Oh, he's going to be conservative justice," and then he ends up being the swing. So, well I think largely to say, we don't know what's going to happen now, right? Right.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I, um, you know, certainly he's got a long paper trail and a long history. We can talk about Brett Kavanaugh and what you know what people expect out of his vote, but I think I think you're exactly right in that. Um, I mean, this is a a nine person body, so. You know the votes are not like they are met with members of Congress, right? And so, you know, the the interplay, the dynamics of the decision is as, as important as where they initially come in, right? So they're they're forming coalitions on all these issues, and then we you know we look at cases like the um, the reapportionment cases that ultimately were decided on the question of who has standing to sue. They they never got to the question about what, what whether even the redistricting uh, that was done was was appropriate or not. The fundamental question the court addressed was do these voters have standing to bring a lawsuit? And so I think yeah, you know, we, we tend to see the very high stakes outcomes, but oftentimes they're decided on very narrow legal questions, as you pointed out, that are six, three, seven, two or sometimes nine zero. And again, so while I think you know, a lot of eyes are trained on this particular nomination and what it might mean to the court. It's pretty unlikely that the court would actually throw out Roe in whole. It's far more likely that the court would take steps towards redefining what an undue burden is, right? And and so, you know, the the court moves very very gradually. It it, it doesn't give up precedent easily. Um, that's really sort of not how the court operates and office, oftentimes is really dis- deciding narrow cases of law rather than these sort of broad inter- you know, sort of social questions.
0: Also, uh- I mean, it's, I think you make a great point with how gradually the court moves over decades. So uh, I think another big question here is, what does this mean for Trump's legacy? Um, this will be his second Supreme Court pick. Uh, and going back, uh, Clinton had two, Bush had two, Obama had two. We have to go all the way back to Reagan before we find a president that has more than two. Um, so it's kind of unheard of for a president to have two Supreme Court picks in their first term. Right. And so for a lot of people on the left side of the political spectrum in America who was hoping that Trump would just be a little blip in history. It's not now at all, right? So what what does this mean for his legacy?
1: Well, that's right. And and it's, um, you know, if this, I I, I will, I think we'll talk later about what the likelihood of, of Kavanaugh being confirmed. I mean, he's 53 years old. So this is, this is likely a 30 plus year Tenure on the court, so this is Trump's legacy, and obviously the the first uh, vacancy that he got was a holdover for the Obama administration, and Obama's inability to get a Supreme Court uh, justice um, uh, approved by the by the U.S. Senate, um, but you know there's certainly if you're talking about a second Trump term, he's going to have well more than two. And so his ability to reshape the court, this is where he's had the most significant impact, not just the Supreme Court, but with the appellate courts and, and lower courts. Um, I, I think this is what people are going to remember as, as Trump's greatest legacy. It's not going to be working with Congress. It's probably not going to be his effective administration of the, of the executive branch. Um, it may or may not be foreign policy. Obviously, he's making some inroads there as well but i think you know, this is where we're going to see um a, a lasting change
0: you know and so it, it's interesting that you, you point out uh kavanaugh's 53 uh gorsuch is 50 um i believe that kennedy was 85 i mean so and i think yeah. john paul stevens was 96 when he retired he's still right? a justice though right <laughs> <laughs> i'm still going yeah. I'm but you know you look at this uh and, I mean, for the most part, I mean, Supreme Court nominees, they, they're not, a, you know, a five or a ten year thing. Um, it was very uncommon for Scalia to actually die on the bench. But most of these these people um, serve for 30, 40 years. Yep. Um, and so this could very much be, you know, uh, a legacy that stretches well beyond, you know, Trump's lifetime. I mean, particularly in the case when you look at, say, Reagan's uh, court nominee, uh, nominees, uh, nominees, um, confirmations. Um, I mean, these are a lot of people that are still serving, even though he's been dead for, you know, more than a decade now. Right.
1: No, I think that's great. And and you look at the foreign policy changes. And as you said, Democrats are hopeful that they'll win control of the House and or the Senate and, and maybe win the presidency so that Trump has a single term and then undo those things right away. These are lifetime tenure. These are not undoable. Right. And so um, they're not likely to be you know vacancies with the, with the Gorsuch or with or with Kavanaugh anytime soon um you know we can certainly imagine some some coming retirements on the court there's some there are some older justices uh but again these are these are this is where the 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 court the the, the conservative movement in the United States has long time wanted a stable majority on the court and i think they, this is the opportunity for that to happen
0: and that's a uh a uh, great part for uh, a great point for us to, to take a break on you're listening to the big Ten on radio boise hey this is slow magic you're listening to radio boise krbx 89.9 fm caldwell boise you're listening to radio boise um i'm we're you're listening to the big tent on radio boise um with luke fowler and Corey cook and we're talking about uh brett kavanaugh's supreme court nomination um, and so he is the man of the hour. Uh, and so it, it's interesting that, you know, not this man was not a household name by any means um, last week. And now he is on the front page of every news website, yeah. every newspaper. And he is what everyone's talking about. So who is this guy?
1: So he's I and mean, he's the where's Waldo of, of Republican politics over the last 30 years. Right. I mean, he worked in, in both Bush administrations. Uh, he, he is in the background of of significant court decisions. He was involved in the. In the um, Ken Starr probe during the during the Clinton administration, he was involved in Bush v. Gore. Um, he is a uh, he's an insider, sort of Washington insider, uh, which is again an unusual choice for this president in many respects. Uh, very very close to the Bush family and and both Bush administrations, which makes this an unusual choice for uh, certainly for Trump. But he has been on the uh, you know employed by and part of sort of this the. Republican establishment for you know the better part of thirty years. So uh,
0: some of the interesting things that happened this week and. Uh is how quickly the website about Brett Kavanaugh went up, the Democrat, like <laughs> right. the, uh, the opposed Kavanaugh within an hour of the nomination. One of the things I thought was funniest was the press release that came out of the women's movement that was, we uh, firmly, something along the lines of, we firmly, you know, opposed the Supreme Court nomination of XXX. Like they were supposed to fill in somebody's right. they name. They hadn't it all the blanks. And then they yeah. didn't fill it in. Yeah. So basically they just put together a form letter. Yeah. So why are the left. Why is the left so against Brett Kavanaugh when this was somebody that we really didn't even know who they were last week?
1: Well, so, you know, I think when when, when Trump ran for president, I, I think strategically, I think most people would regard the, the reason that he ended up winning the presidency was his ability to... Um, maintained support on the on the right right flank, the sort of evangelical Christian wing of the Republican Party, which was not his natural base. It was not his base when he was running in the in the in the Republican primary. And was largely able to do that by talking about Supreme Court appointments and by putting together a list of twenty five potential nominees. And so frankly, the Democrats once Trump was elected and said every appointment will come from that list, have done opposition research on all 25 of the, those names, and have pre- press releases ready for any twi- twenty-five, <laughs> each of those 25 candidates. Now, again, they may have sadly not filled in all the XXXs, but they knew, <laughs> right, they knew which, which you know, they, they have something on each one of them that they're going to not like, right? And the list was put together in part by the Federal Society and folks at the Heritage Foundation. And so these are going to be reliably conservative voices. And so moving in, Democrats knew they would be able to argue about um, same-sex marriage, about Roe, about... um, Sort of Obamacare and healthcare generally. And the, and the third issue that we've already seen the Democrats have brought up in opposition um, uh, to this particular justice is around his unitary executive viewpoint and this idea about whether or not presidents can be uh, held accountable for actions when they're in office. Uh, because he has some, uh, he wrote a law review article some years ago that suggests that maybe uh, presidents shouldn't be subject to sort of investigations. But that's, I mean, that was all done. Months ago. And so the question was really for Democrats was whichever name is drawn from that hat, we know all the names in the hat. This isn't, you know, we didn't go off a a list that wasn't already publicized. Again, I think strategically it was smart for Trump to have done that, but he also gave the Democrats a head start on their opposition research.
0: Interesting. Um, and again, I think he made headlines because he's one of the few presidents or few presidential candidates that's ever come out publicly and announced, you know, these are the candidates that I'm looking out prior to actually having the opportunity right. to appoint. Um, so it was definitely a departure from what we see. So kind of knowing this and knowing what his Supreme Court lo- list looks like, and you know, you see this huge left backlash and this really, you know, coming together against us, is this really, could they have hoped for a better case scenario? Because when we look at Kavanaugh, he's... He's a conservative, but for the most part, he's a moderate. Um, he is certainly not in the right wing of the party. Um, in any practical sense, I don't think you could have found anyone that was, let's say, less egregious, if you have a, a, a liberal ideological perspective, for the most part. So, I mean, in, in all honesty, is this
1: the best that the, the left could have hoped for in this situation? So I think, you know, they're, they're, it's a great question. and There are really two parts, right? So one is, what could they have hoped for politically? And the other way, sort of what they could hope for in terms of the substance of a of a judge and uh I guess on that second point, I'm not really sure. And I and I, and you know, there's a there's a piece on 538, and I, I I like their work a lot, not not just because they they came to Boise and I got to introduce them. So you know, there was nothing better than uh, being able to to meet the 538 crew um, when they were in town for uh, for Tree Fort a couple of years ago. Um, but they they are using an analysis of voting decisions, and they've and they would have Kavanaugh as the second most conservative Supreme Court justice. Uh, next to Clarence Thomas. There's another analysis coming out of Stanford and Harvard that has him almost where Kennedy was and was a Kennedy clerk. And so, you know, certainly he is not going to be a suitor, right? He's not going to surprise people and suddenly vote with it, with the more liberal wing of the, of the court. Um, but is he more like Kennedy or more like Thomas? There's, there's some room in there, right? And I think that's one of the questions that folks have is he's, you know, He's a pretty standard mainstream conservative Republican, has been throughout his career. Um, I read one of the analyses of of, of folks on the right who said, sure, the pick's a home run, but it could have been a grand slam. And uh, so, like, we're not as energized as we might have been. I mean, it's a great pick and it's sort of the best you could do, but we wish we could have done better. And so it's sort of an interesting—I mean, he's going to be a reliably conservative voice, but is he— gonna be a swing vote or is he gonna be sort of closer to where Clarence Thomas is, I think is unclear. On the politics, I'm fascinated by the politics of this and how this plays out and the and the confirmation battle that's to come and what that means in terms of the upcoming election and the investigation into the president and the and, and certainly the, the latter part of his term. The timing of this couldn't be more fascinating in terms of what we're heading into in terms of fall fall election. And 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 so I think that second question that sort of is implicit, you know, is this the best the Democrats could have for? I think the politics of this play out pretty well for the Democrats, actually. Uh, And to some extent, having this come up now as opposed to, um, you know, six months ago or six months from now, this may be the best case for certainly for Senate Democrats trying to trying to increase um, the possibility of getting majority.
0: Yeah. And uh, I think we're going to save some of the more of that discussion for the final segment. But, you know, I I think you also make a good point um, about the opposition from the right. Uh, And so I I read uh, several articles, uh, particularly from right wing commentators that basically, you know, pan this this nomination um, saying, you know, Trump said that he was going to Washington to drain the swamp. And he has picked the most or one of the most Republican establishment conservative justices he could have picked. Um, In other words, like he did exactly what we would expect any other Republican president to do. Which was kind of disappointing for a lot of people right. that backed Trump Great for the point. reason that he was anti-establishment, um, and so I, I think there's been a lot on the right that are disappointed in this pick. Yeah, and you know, also say as much uh, support as he's getting for you know um, for a certain like maybe challenging some of the things that have gone on with Roe versus Wade. He's strictly said that Roe versus Wade is black letter law and that they're not going to rehash that. So you don't even have that support from, you know, those evangelicals that are mm-hmm. like, oh, they're going to reconsider Roe v. Wade because he said that that's not happening. So, you know, it, it's interesting that as much as the left's against them, you also have that far from the right wing that's against them. Okay. And the people that are for it are really the establishment Republicans that are in the middle of the road. And that's the part of Trump's base that he's never really done
1: well with. Right. So uh, it's, it's, a, it's a unique pick in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, this is this is who President Jeb Bush would have nominated, right? <laughs> this would have been Bush's first appointment. It wouldn't have been Gorsuch. It would have been Kavanaugh. And and so I do think that there are folks on uh, on the right who are saying, yeah, again, it's a it's a good pick. It's an improvement over Kennedy, uh, in that we're we're unlikely to lose some of the, the 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 close votes that we did. But we were expecting more out of this president, and, and to some extent, it sets up for not much of a confirmation battle. While he has a huge. Um, paper trail in and, and all of his service, public service, and his role in the court. Uh, and so it's going to be lengthy in the amount of time it takes to dig through that. At the same time, this isn't an unknown. This isn't somebody who's going to be um, eliciting uh, a lot of surprises in his confirmation hearing, and, and um, we talk about those confirmation hearings that have that have not been successful, but for the most part it's because there was a surprise during those confirmation hearings. It's hard to imagine after, you know, essentially 30 years of, of being in Washington and working for Republican candidates and presidents and, and, and entities, that there's going to be a surprise that will suddenly torpedo this nomination. All right, so that's a great segue to our final
0: segment. We're going to talk the politics of the confirmation, um, but we're going to take a break first. Uh, you're listening to The Big Ten on Radio Boise. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Bud Wilson from Portland, Oregon's band On, and you're listening to Radio Boise on KRBX
1: 89.9 FM, Caldwell, Boise. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously, though, this is Bud from On. You're listening to KRBX. We are back on the Big Tent on Radio Boise, KRBX. This is uh, Corey Cook. I'm here with Luke Fowler. We're talking about uh, the recent nomination of Brett Kavanaugh to the U.S. Supreme Court. And we're about to talk about the politics of the confirmation. And, Luke, I'm dying to know what you think about the the confirmation and what we're about to see. Well, uh, I think me and Corey actually started this
0: conversation out in the... uh out in the hall and so that's one of the, the great parts about being on a radio show with uh, some of your colleagues is that you know it's just an extension of the things that we talk about anyway um but for the most part I, like i think the question whether he gets confirmed is the is Like a no brainer like that. I I don't see any scenario where he doesn't get confirmed. Right. Um, And looking back, so we have to go all the way. back. if we go all the way back to a guy named Robert Bork, um, who is famous for how vicious his Supreme Court uh, nomination confirmation (laughs) hearings were. Um, Bork is also famous for being as part of the Saturday Night Massacre. Um, in the Watergate scandal, he was the Solicitor General. Then fired a lot of people at the DOJ. It became a big deal that really haunted him. Well, we got this term called a borking or getting borked um, in American politics as a result of this because he his video. I mean, his confirmation hearings were so vicious. They even pulled out his blockbuster video rental list and questioned whether or not he was a pervert based on some of those things, right? And so, I mean, this was a vicious hearing. He got denied. Um, following him uh ron reagan a, a nominated guy named douglas skinberg he got rejected and then uh we don't have any rejections to supreme court nominations until harriet meyer um the mm-hmm. bush administration and her confirmation was shocking because it was so, like she performed so poorly as yeah. a candidate she couldn't answer questions some of the basic candidates, uh, questions that the Senate would ask and then after that we have Merrick Garland, right? So Obama Supreme Court nominee uh, nominee that um, eventually failed when Obama's term ended, right? Because yeah. Republicans for were... so like historically, having a failed nominee is really, really rare. And when they happen, as you said earlier, is because something shocking or unexpected happens. So what's the possibility of Kavanaugh getting not getting confirmed? It's there's none. Like he he's getting confirmed. Right. Um, but even if somehow we stretch this out beyond the midterms. Democrats take back control of the Senate. It's going to make them look bad not to confirm this guy, right? They don't want that going on, right? Are they going to stretch these hearings out for two years and hope that a a Democrat wins the, the presidential election in 2020? No. Are they going to shoot down this nominee just because it's Trump's nominee, that's going to make them look bad. I mean, they're mm-hmm. going to lose a lot of independence in that, uh, that case. I mean, I think for the most part, like the best case scenario here is just to go ahead and confirm it. Put up, you know, your good fight, confirm it and move on and run against it in the midterms. But I, I don't think there's any chance that this could, this nominate, uh, nomination hearings, if they go south for, for Kavanaugh.
1: Well, I think that, that the calculation about the midterms is fascinating. And, I, and I've got a kind of a crazy view on this, I'm sure. But Um, I'm not convinced it's in the Republicans' interest to get the nomination done before the midterms because it takes that issue off the agenda. And if you look at historically, I think the right is easier to mobilize on the Supreme Court cases in the left is if the the democrats are in risk in the senate they're not much in the house but the house doesn't play a role in this right but they're at risk in the senate they've got they've got a number of red state senators running for re-election and frankly if this goes as a 56 44 confirmation with the republicans staying together and and heidi heitkamp in in, in north dakota and and uh um uh, Carnahan in Missouri and folks like the, the expected um, Joe Manchin in, in, in West Virginia going along with the nomination. What mobilizes Republicans in November? On the other hand, if the Democrats actually knock this back or slow it down or stall it beyond the election, this becomes the issue that mobilizes the base, at Trump's base in November on, the, on f- f- among conservatives. So to me, it's sort of this odd dynamic of I think probably it's in the Republicans' best interest to take the risk and have it not be confirmed with the chance being, okay. Democrats have to essentially win every close race. They've got to get a pickup in Arizona, uh, maybe win uh, Nevada, maybe draw an inside straight and win Tennessee in order to take back the Senate. Um, That's the risk of Republicans is that then, then they... Block the nomination for the next two years i think the, the frankly the, the the party's um incentives are, are reversed on this i think republicans are better off if it's not confirmed and i think democrats are better off if, if it is
0: yeah i mean that that's a
1: really interesting perspective right because um like i said well, it was probably wrong but it may be interesting but you know it's probably wrong
0: no, no, I, I, don't, uh, I don't question the analysis, but I think, I think it's certainly interesting to look at it in that perspective, right, where this nomination is more about the politics than the actual how it's going to change on the courts. And I think that's what makes part of this very interesting, is because Kavanaugh's not really that important of a Supreme Court justice in terms of what he brings to the court. He is important for what he's going to do to this set of elections, right? Um, in the same way that Merrick Garland was important to the 2016 election, like, right. he, it became a big issue. So, I mean, I, I think... that begs the question though If we're going to make these kind of uh analogies between uh garland and and kavanaugh is is this the same situation because when you looked at mcconnell said we have to wait till the election to do the confirmations the people deserve a a chance to vote is that does that logic apply here or not
1: well i'm not sure that logic really applied then Uh, i agree but so um you know i yeah, elections. I, I I do subscribe to the view that elections have consequences, and that those consequences extend for the full term of the people who've been elected. And so I I don't buy much into that uh, an argument. I, but I, I, again, I think strategically, Democrats are making a huge mistake if they make that argument because they they have more to lose in this race. Um, they are uh, on the on the generic ballot are going to be six to eight points ahead on the on the House side. I think most prognosticators would tell you it's likely the Dems win back the House. I think all of that they could lose, actually, by virtue of holding a Supreme Court nomination that really conflicts their own Senate members more than it does Senate Republicans. And so it's hard to see them dying on this hill to potentially lose a winnable control of the house and and potentially you lose joe manchin and you lose and you lose um you certainly lose heidi heitkamp and you probably lose a couple of more uh red state dems who are now going to be forced to join with their colleagues and obstructionism i think is bad politics so i would be i would be very surprised if the dems make the argument that you know what we got to wait wait until this, after this election to have this confirmation. I think they're, they're wise to put up a good fight to excite their base. And then to let the inevitable happen and and uh, let, let Kavanaugh be confirmed.
0: Well, you know, in, in Chuck Schumer, I can't remember which show, I think it was Meet the Press or something, made the argument or tried to that we need to wait till after the elections. But he seemed to quickly back away from that. Right. And I think it uh it might have taken a few days for him to think through this process. But, you know, I think it's right. Like, I don't think the Democrats want to make that argument because I think it's not in their favor and that they need to go ahead and push for this confirmation to happen. Um, but it's kind of interesting to see how the politics are going to play out, because I think it has, like you said, has got to have huge consequences for the election not as much for the Supreme Court though right right so uh, one of the interesting things uh, and, and also as we kind of talked about in the, the first segment is uh, a Trump's not or uh, Trump's legacy as a president right.
1: So, I think we are running out of time. And so, Luke's going to take us out because he has been practicing this and I've not. So, <laughs> you've, right. been yeah. <laughs> you've been listening to the Big Tent. Yes. Uh, you've been listening
0: to the Big Tent, Radio Boise, KRBX 89.9 FM, Caldwell,
1: Boise. I'm Luke Fowler, and my co host is Corey Cook. That was awesome. Um, next week, we're with Laura Nikachea. She's uh, the director of the Idaho Center for Fiscal Policy. So we'll be talking about uh, what's coming up in the legislative session, uh, Medicaid expansion, terrorist. and some budget issues. And so she'll be joining us next Thursday. All right.